pray before we begin. Lord, as we uh, open your word together, I pray that you will speak to us. Uh, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you want us to see, what you want us to learn in your word. I pray that you will transform us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, I hope you all uh, in, had a joyous Christmas celebrating the coming of the Messiah. Uh, my family and I just returned la- uh, last night, actually, from up the far north coast where mum now lives. And as I mentioned before, I'm one of four brothers and there's about uh, 13 kids and we were spread across a couple of houses, but uh, it was quite hectic. Uh, a lot of noise. I'm an introvert. A lot of noise. Everyone's speaking. Families coming and going, doing their thing. And there were inevitable uh, incidents and accidents and whatnot between the children. And on one occasion, uh, I was sitting down, uh, enjoying a drink, after we'd come back from the beach, I think, or something. And uh, this big kerfuffle was happening outside, and one of my kids came running through, crying. And so I went out to try to work out what was happening. And I just was hit by a barrage of conflicting stories. Opinions, people saying it from their point of view, and I just, oh, okay, I don't know what's going on. I went back inside. It was too much for me. My brother went out there because I think it was one of his kids that caused it, and I thought, oh, he'll sort it out. And he just got hit by the same thing. And there was 13 kids just going for it. Different opinions, different narratives, everyone giving their version of events. We'll bring up the slides. Everyone's speaking and saying different things. So we're still not sure exactly uh, what happened. It doesn't really matter. It's all gone now. Not sure who we should have been listening to. But life in general feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? We live in very interesting times. It's a barrage of information, news and opinions, and views and cultures and different worldviews, divisions, competing stories, competing narratives. So what are we listening to? There's fake news. Maybe there's some trusted news out there. There's COVID, changing morals, changing attitudes towards uh, relationships and gender, all sorts of things. It's sort of uh, push for self-interest and your own happiness at the heart of everything. And there's this endless waves of social media information. Now, of course, we need to be aware of what's happening in our world. But what are we listening to primarily? Are we, are we taking on the world's narrative? What's, what's influencing our views and opinions? As everything is shifting and uncertain, where can we find certainty? Well, you won't be surprised to hear that I want to encourage you to find sure certainty in the word of the eternal and unchanging God. So what are you listening to? And why should you focus on listening to God's word over the world? And I want to look at Psalm 19 with you this morning. So if you've got your Bibles there, open them up. Psalm 19, but I'll also have the words up on the screen. You might have your own favourite version if you like. I think it's NIV I've got up there, or will have up there. And as we walk our way through Psalm 19, we'll see David 
he's praising God's general revelation in nature and then his specific revelation through his word and then we see David's relational response to God's specific revelation. So let's look at Psalm 19 together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the, world, uh, all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, it's a lovely psalm of David. And in the first section, verses 1 to 6, we see David's awe at the beauty of the general revealed glory of God in creation. And I think it's one of the great privileges of believers to be able to appreciate the glory of God's creation or the beauty of God's creation. Okay, we know our world is uh, marred by the sin of humanity. It's pollution and corruption and uh, destruction but it still provides wonderful glimpses of beauty. And we live in one of the most naturally beautiful parts of the world, in my opinion, here in the mountains. And if you take a bushwalk down in Glenbrook and you meditate on God's word, you can understand how the psalmists and often the prophets refer to nature proclaiming the glory of God. And if you go out on a clear night and look up to the stars, especially if you go further west where there's less light, you'll understand verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But look at verse 3. Despite their constant proclaiming, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, in verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth 
their words to the end of the world. So it's wordless proclamation and praise for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. In 5 and 6, we get this uh, beautiful poetic description of the, the, the wonder of the sun providing warmth and light and it's praised. And we understand it. God's glory is seen in his creation. And we can wonder at it and we can praise the creator. But because it's proclamation without words, it's often left, well, it is left open to interpretation. And we know that many people misinterpret what they see. I mentioned that I'd been on holidays at my mother's on the far north coast. And it was a beautiful place. Lovely. God's creation was wonderful and glorifying. I went for morning walks up on the hill where these photo, well, this photo is taken from with my wife. And uh, we often uh, spent the, the day uh, swimming at the beach round further. And there's a lake behind the beach. It was just beautiful. But if you walk through the town there, there's uh, offers of all sorts of alternative spiritual retreats and uh, spiritual experiences, getting in tune with Mother Nature and uh, resonating with positive earth vibes and other stuff that I didn't understand. Any number of spiritual options that you can go and partake in. Not to mention lots of good old hedonism. The far north coast is a very spiritual place. But there's not a lot of worship of the one true creator God. So everyone is looking at the same beauty and the same creation. But it's open to interpretation. We can appreciate and praise God for his creation. But we can also praise God that he didn't leave us only with creation to work things out. He's a relational, revealing, communicating God who has given us specific revelation in words of who he is and who we are through the true story and the long history of his relationship with his people. And in verses 7 to 11, we see David's response to God's specific revelation through his word. God's law is perfect, refreshing the soul trustworthy, making wise the simple. It's right, giving joy to the heart and radiant, giving light to the eyes. David had experienced this in his own life and he'd seen it experienced in God's people whom he led. And if God is a good and holy and pure and righteous God as we believe he is, then his word must also be true and right and holy and good. Otherwise, he couldn't be. If, if his word was untrustworthy or impure, then he must be those things as well. But we know he is not. He's holy and good and pure and righteous, so we can trust and rely on his word to us. And if God is eternal and all-knowing, then his word to us must be a trustworthy guide. Because he knows. He knows the truth. So it must be true. So surely we, would des we should desire to read the words of a, an all-knowing and trustworthy God and desire to know it better and understand it better. So we can understand him and indeed understand ourselves and our world better. Surely the words of the creator of this world that we live in 
might have essential relevance for our day-to-day lives. What's this book? Gathering dust up on the shelves. Oh, don't worry. That's just the words of Yahweh, the eternal creator and all-knowing God. It's not relevant. Look at verses 9 to 11. David says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. God's law is firm. It's not going anywhere. And all of it is righteous. More precious than pure gold, sweeter than honey. And God's word warns God's people. And in it is great reward. They are a reliable guide, relevant to David then and to you and I now. They're more than just historical information. The writer of the Hebrews, the book of the letter of the Hebrew to the Hebrews tells us that God's words are living and active. And I know this to be true in my own life. Uh, as we said before, I grew up in a Christian home. In fact, we came here to church and up at Warramu as well. Disappointed, by the way, to see the big tree that I used to climb through as a kid. It was an old turpentine down there when I was a little bit skinnier. It's been Christmas. It's gone. Anyway, it's not the end of the world, I suppose. In my mid-teens, I went a long way from God. A long way. Living a very self-centered and selfish life. And I was quite happy with that actually. I believed in God, I suppose, in the background, but had no interest in exposing myself to him or his word. I was quite stubborn about that. And I won't uh, go into the very long story. To cut it short, God used my own stubbornness to get me to agree to reading the Bible on my own, mainly to try to get out of going to a Bible study that I was invited to, which I thought would be the most boring thing in the world. And so I committed to uh, reading it on my own even though I wasn't interested. So I got a Bible, and uh, one day at work, uh, in my lunchtime actually, I was sitting in my car and I started reading it. And from the very first words, I was overwhelmed with God's presence and His reality and the truth of His Word. And I've been enjoying consuming it ever since. For some people, God's uh, Word reveals their selfish, uh, sinfulness to them. Well, that wasn't really an issue for me. I knew I was sinful. Though he is still showing me the depth of my sinfulness to this day. But God clearly and overwhelmingly revealed his reality and his presence and the truth of his word to me in a way I couldn't ignore. And he began changing my life from that day in ways that I had no uh, desire previously to change. So I know very well that God changes people through his word. And his word is living and active. God knows what people need, he created them and he sustains them and he reveals himself to them through his word. And I've seen it many times in many people. I mentioned earlier that my family spent six years in Central Asia. At one point we moved uh, from a large town to a smaller regional location which was far more remote and very conservative, both culturally and religiously conservative. We worked uh, mainly in community development and particularly with uh, children with disabilities. We also did a bit of health and clean water and that type of thing. But before we moved towns, we knew we needed to get some connections there. And so we tried to, because we were working in community development, we tried to link with some other 
local agencies and so forth that kind of had responsibility in that area. And most, I guess, to be honest, uh, were not so keen on speaking to us because they were worried about these foreigners, you know, and who they, what the government might see and what religiously strict people might think. But one organisation was the local blind society and they eagerly invited us to come and help. And they gave us very, very good connections into the government and to people generally in town. And they were most keen to partner with us because they were quickly able to see that we, were, we worked with integrity. We did what we said. And obviously we were trying to help people there and not take advantage of people. And working with integrity and working for other people is a rare commodity in that part of the world. And the director of the organisation could see the difference in us, but she didn't really understand why, what the difference was. It was a little bit like what we were talking about before with looking at nature. Without an explanation, she didn't really understand it. Why were these people different? And as connections grew and we all spent more time together, there were opportunities to share the gospel and share stories from God's word. And then slowly she began inviting our team members to all sorts of events. Weddings, funerals, circumcision parties, birthday parties, all sorts of stuff. And so we, our, our uh, contacts and our um, networks grew. And she started to, as we were sharing the gospel, we were sharing stories, she started to slightly understand the reason why we were different. We're not just nice charity workers trying to help because we had heaps of money from the West. We were followers of Jesus and he made the difference. And as the connections grew, often the ladies on our team would get invited to something. Uh, it, was, it was often sort of gender divisions. And the ladies would be sitting in the room and she would say, oh, these people are great people. They know a lot about God. They're, they're here to help. And uh, they've got some really good stories. Why, girls, tell them the story about Noah that you told us. Tell us the story about uh, the Tower of Babel and why we've all got different languages. Tell them the story about the man born blind that Jesus, Jesus healed. And they love the stories. And God's word was alive and active and two groups formed that began to read God's word together. God gives us his word in stories about his people. And of course, there's history and there's poems and there's songs and letters and prophecies. And it's one long story about our sinfulness, our rejection of God and his redeeming work through Jesus. And that true story upturns the false stories that we create to explain things and convince other people about how the world works. And it's true and it's trustworthy and it's a faithful guide. And it is the foundational voice we need to be listening to. For believers, as David reminds us, the words of God are perfect wisdom. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us to listen to his teaching and build our lives on his teaching like a wise man building a house on the rock. And Peter tells us in his letter that God's revelation gives us everything we need for a godly life as well as great and precious promises 
so we can leave our corrupt and evil worldly desires behind and seek him. Seek God. So it's clearly not just information to add to our lives, but the foundation to build upon. So again, what are you listening to? In a confused and uncertain world, God's sure and certain words are what we can depend on. But I recognise that not everybody finds it easy or attractive to regularly be in God's Word. If you take the time to read Psalm 119, which is a very long psalm about God's Word, you'll see repeated claims of delighting in God's Word. But we know that the reality is for many people, we struggle to read God's Word or it feels dry or difficult. But clearly, our loving Creator and Shepherd thinks it's good for us to be in His Word. And I believe that if He desires us to read it and we seek to desire to trust Him with that, He will cause us to find Him there and enjoy Him there in His Word. In any human relationship, we grow closer by spending time together and communicating. And it's not always easy or convenient. Our relationship with God is no different. It might look different to different people. I love reading on my own, but maybe you need to get together with people to talk about what you're reading. Or maybe you need to listen to it on audio or whatever. But ask him to give you a desire to read and the capacity to read or listen and to be with him. Ask himself to, sorry, ask him to reveal himself to you in his word. Ask him for the wisdom that he promises from his word. Ask to know him better. He delights in answering those prayers. Not everyone has the same time or capacity, but God knows your needs and he knows the time and capacity that he's given to you. Seek him. God desires to meet with you there. And Satan desires to obstruct you from meeting with God in his word. And let's face it, we are easily distracted people. For unbelievers, God's word is the revelation of truth and the revelation of the good news of salvation in Christ. Paul tells us that faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And I want to encourage you or maybe challenge you in this new year to consider the privilege that you have as a follower of Jesus, having and knowing the word of God, to passionately seek God's glory among the nations and support ministries reaching out with the word of God. I'm sure you already do that here as a church. Jesus will build his church and he calls us to participate in the way that he has gifted you individually and as a church or blessed you to participate. Look with me at the final few verses, 12 to 14. We see that God's revelation is relational. It's not just fact or information or history. It's revealed relationship and a living relationship. And we can see David's response from verse 12. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. 
then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. You can clearly see that David has moved from impersonal descriptions about God's word to personal response. God works by his Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people to bring knowledge of sin, desire for repentance, and a desire to be in a close, loving relationship with their Redeemer. The grand narrative of the Bible starts with God creating this beautiful place for people, the pinnacle of his creation, to be with him and to live in wholeness and in worshipful relationship with their God. But Adam and Eve, we know the story, they're tempted by Satan to doubt God, doubt his goodness in their relationship, and they fall into sin and shame and fear and broken relationship, and they have to leave God's presence. And death and destruction and corruption and broken relationships are the lot of people up until our day. On our own, we are separated from God, unable to be with him because of our own sin and shame. That's you and me, our sin and shame. We know that on our own, our own sin and shame separates us from God. But right from those early chapters of the Bible, we also hear God's graceful promises to set everything right through the promised one to come. And he came and he bore all the consequences of all that sin and shame on himself. Your sin, my sin that keeps us apart from God. As Isaiah says, we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We're all lost in sin until we hear the good news of the saving work in Jesus. And if believing we unite to him, he takes our sin, we take his righteousness, completely undeserved, completely free, only by the grace of God. And being united to him, We're not just able to be near God, but we're adopted into God's family, no less. Brothers and sisters of Jesus, co-heirs with him. And we're given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Can't get much nearer than that. Guiding and guaranteeing our eternal future with God. And as we read the relationships between God and his people in the Bible, we begin to understand it's about us too. We're caught up in the relationships. We join the family. We inherit the blessings promised to and through the patriarchs and the prophets, the promises to set everything right fully in the future. Guaranteed. Just this week I was reading through Galatians. And in chapter 3, Paul tells the Galatians that if they belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And in the next chapter, he says they join Isaac as children of the promise. That applies to you and me. We join in the story. And as we understand this, we see our sinfulness. And like David, we cry out for forgiveness. For our hidden sins, we plead to God that he would keep us from willful sins. And we desire to live lives pleasing to him. Why? Because it's a relationship. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. Of course, there's rules and principles. But we desire to please God 
by obeying him because we're in a relationship with him. And it comes from his word. I knew a guy uh, in Central Asia and before we'd moved there, he'd fallen away from his faith. He'd come to faith before we were there. He'd fallen away because he'd been hurt by some believers. And I won't go into the details, but he, he hadn't been reading his Bible or praying or had any kind of relationship with God for a long time. And we worked in community development together. He worked alongside. He was, uh, he was a great helper, but he also became a, a great friend, actually. He's my closest friend over there. And after a while, uh, as, as we sort of built our relationship, I convinced him to, that, that he should start reading the Bible and we should do it together. And, and we'll get together at lunchtime, we'll read the Bible together. And so we did that. And the first time we went out, uh, God led us to uh, read through uh, the first couple of chapters of Hosea. And then we finished the final chapter and skipped a few of the ones in the middle. I'm not sure if you've read through Hosea lately, but those chapters have some pretty heavy stuff about the prophet being asked to marry and have children with an unfaithful woman who predictably leaves him. And the prophet has to go and ask her to return. Not just ask her to return and give his love again, buy her back. It's a shocking, but a kind of a revealing story. And it points directly to the gospel. God redeeming his unfaithful people, people who have turned from him, gone away, and been unfaithful. And as we finished reading, we got back to the office, we're sitting in the car, I said, okay, we've got to go back in, and he, he couldn't move out of his seat. He just sat there. I said, oh, I was his boss, actually, so we've got to go back to work. And he, he just didn't get up. He said, I, I never saw it from God's side like that. I didn't understand God felt that way about us. And I let him stay there where he was for a good while. I can't remember how long. Just sat and reflected. God uses his word to convict and to encourage and to bring to repentance and to desire relationship and desire obedience if we let him work in us, if we open ourselves to the work of his spirit in our hearts. Now, since coming back to Australia, I mentioned... Uh, our work here is, uh, I'm, I'm primarily in Sydney, but I, I lead a team that's across Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne, reaching out to people here with the gospel and prayerfully seeking to gather people around God's word and particularly to plant churches, small, culturally appropriate, house-based churches around the word of God, of course, with good food and hospitality. Which I enjoy very much. And we've seen that the same people who might in the street reject the Bible, not interested, thank you very much, because all their lives they've been told it's corrupt and wrong and they don't want to be seen doing it, everything else. If they're invited by a friend for some fellowship and reading the word together, discussing it and praying together in a loving community, it gives a context for the Bible and the good news of Jesus can be heard and understood. And we desperately desire to see God glorified as he opens people's hearts to his word. He does it in the lives of new believers. I was reading the other day in Acts, you know, Lydia, it says God opened her heart to receive the message that Paul brought. And it's beautiful. He works in our hearts too, convicting, rebuking, building, encouraging. If we allow him, if we seek him, if we give our time to him. Would you seek him with renewed passion in the year ahead?
Now, I'm not suggesting some type of New Year's resolution. It was mentioned before in the prayer time. I don't know about you, but I don't do those things. I mean, I say I'll do them, but I never do. I just forget them. I mean seeking him, seeking relationship, seeking his story, his narrative, to upturn all those other stories that we hear and the world throws at us endlessly. But he must give you the desire to do it and lead you by his spirit in his word so that he gets the glory. We don't naturally drift towards reading our Bibles or holiness or any of those things. It needs some intentional seeking. But if you prayerfully seek relationship, it is God who will make it possible. So let's pray about that now. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you are revealing, communicating, relational God. But what a privilege to be in a relationship with you. I honestly don't understand how most people in the world live outside of relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you will give us a renewed desire to seek you in your word. For those who struggle, Lord, please, we ask that you give desire, capacity, and ability to meet with you in your word. Lord, reveal yourself to, to us. Draw us closer to yourself. And Lord, we pray that in the year ahead, you will make us more like Jesus as you work in us and through us by your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.